Good morning, good morning. Go ahead and take your Bibles and turn in, turn on your Bibles to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. Go ahead and be turning to chapter 6 and be ready to look into chapter 7. Man, no matter who you are, where you're from, we're thrilled that you're here. Man, if you're our guest, I know Corey's already welcomed you. But let me just take another opportunity to say we're thrilled you're here. And if you're tuning in online, we're just grateful that out of all the places you could be, uh, in the upstate of South Carolina, you decided to be here today at 1120. Hey, church family, let's go ahead and join together and welcome those who are our guests again. Like you mean it. Go ahead and welcome them here. Yeah. All right. All right. As you're turning to Acts uh, chapter 6, I want to tell you something I heard this last week. I was listening to a podcast by a man named Pat Lencioni. Lencioni's a leadership guy. Uh, so he's kind of a, he helps a lot of businesses and stuff like that, but he also uh, it consults churches and he made a statement that kind of stuck out to me and it, and it wasn't until later that I actually saw the significance and relevance of uh, what he said to today's message. And here's what he said. He said, success makes a mess. Success makes a mess. Now, I, I, I don't know that you'd immediately go, oh yeah, I get that. Uh, I, I want to read Proverbs 14.4 and give you some biblical framework for even why that's absolutely true from a biblical perspective. Proverbs 14.4 says, where there are no oxen, the manger is clean. In other words, if you don't have any cattle or oxen, you don't have to worry about feeding them. Where there are no oxen, the manger is clean, but abundant crops come by the strength of the ox. If you look at a word study of the word strength, it doesn't necessarily mean muscles. It actually can mean waste. That's a really good word for it, all right? Do y'all know what I'm talking about? Manure, all right? I'll just go ahead and say it's a little clearer so everybody's on the same page. And so he's basically saying where there is no waste, <laughs> there is no production. Where there is no mess, there is no success. So with any success comes a mess. That's a principle we can live by. Now, you may say, well, that's an argument I'm going to give my mom for not cleaning my room from now on. I would not try that, all right? But I would say that in ministry, especially, the more that we are obedient to God and the mission, uh, it gets messy, man. It gets difficult. Challenge, we face challenges when we take the gospel into a community and a culture that is bent against him. And look, there's no doubt in this room, there are people who come from a variety of backgrounds. Maybe you come from even a different belief system, you know, and you're in here and you're like, I don't even know where you're coming from. Here's what, what, what I believe the scriptures really teach us is that when we take the gospel of Jesus Christ anywhere, it's going to be messy because ministry is messy, missions is messy. And we don't want to avoid the mess, we actually want to take the gospel where people actually are still struggling with things. Because you know why? The gospel is the solution to their struggle. See, the, the Holy Spirit is actually the answer to your fear, to your frustration, to your uh, to your uh, discouragement, all, all of those things that your your addiction, all of the all of the confusion that you're facing. Look, you may not know it, but but you've come to a place that actually 
has the answer. Here's the problem. A lot of churches, when they start uh, taking the gospel to places that are not common places to take the gospel, and it gets a little messy, it gets a little challenging, most churches bail on the mission. That's why, if you look around in our country, 85 to 90% of Christian churches are either plateaued or declining. You can say it like this, really the vast majority of churches in America are dying. You don't really have to read an article to know that's true. That's just a fact. But it's not just because the culture's turned away from, from God. It's because the church has turned away from lost people. And so if the church turns away from people who need hope, in a world filled of, with darkness, in a world filled with hopelessness, if the people with the only hope actually are more concerned about their comfort than they are the cause of Christ, then man, the people who are without Christ are hopeless. I mean, they have no chance because the majority of people who are literally holding the antidote to their illness won't share it. God forbid. And so here's the thing, Acts chapter 6 you may think this is, this is going to be totally like, how is that going to come from Act 6? This is the call of deacons. You may say, well, wow, wasn't expecting that. But in Acts chapter 6, challenges arose. Complications came as a result of growth in the church. Now, our church has grown like crazy. The last few years, we have seen exponential growth. We literally just changed the, the time of this service to 1120 so that we could create a little more gap for people to come and park. In fact, here's what we had to do. We had to give the people in the 10 o'clock time to get out of your way before you get here, all right? Because the problem was you were coming while they were trying to leave and it just wasn't working, all right? So I hope you found a parking place a little easier today. Just let's show of applause. How many of you had an easier time getting parking today? Hey, all right. Well, praise the Lord. And if you, if, if you didn't clap, you came too early. Amen. I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. You come on anyway, it'd be all right. Um, but you know, so work challenges. When you reach people and your church grows, challenges come. Why? Because success makes a mess. That's just really true. So Acts chapter six, let's look at verse one and we'll see what challenge arose in the early church. It says, now in the days, in these days when disciples were increasing in number, what's that mean? Church was growing. The disciples were increasing in number. A complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. So we see in the first two verses already, the church was growing rapidly. And as a result of the growth of the church, they were facing some challenges. You may say, what's the daily distribution? What's that? It just means they weren't able to effectively minister to people who needed to be ministered to. They were growing so fast. The number of people to minister to and the number of new converts, the number of people they were having to preach to was growing so that they couldn't effectively minister to these widows who were in need of care and compassion. So the truth is a church's growth does not minimize the value of each individual believer. You may be here today, maybe you came to even watch somebody get baptized. And you may say, man, this is a big church. I don't mind coming here every now and then. I, I wouldn't want to go to a big church all the time because I know I would, just, I would just blend in to the crowd. You know what I found out? I've pastored three churches in 20-something years. 
The first church was a country church in South Georgia running 100 to start with. Grew to about 200 before we left. Second was a metropolitan church in Atlanta, run about 300, and then it grew to about seven before we came here in Simpsonville. And, and, and now a much larger church than I've ever been in my life. And then it, it doubled almost in the last seven years. So that's kind of crazy to see that kind of thing happen. But here's what it, you know what happened? You could blend into any three of those churches. You could, you could, you could fade into the background and not be super committed and not be on anybody's radar in any of those environments. The size of the church doesn't mean you can't be important and it should not minimize the importance of every individual. The larger the church goes, here's what happens. You have to make adjustments to how you minister to people. And that's what's happening in Acts chapter six. It's a constant struggle. It's a constant process. As we advance the mission, we adjust the methodology. As we advance the mission, as we reach more people, we've got to change the way that we do things. Otherwise, they become ineffective fast. And that's what they realized in Acts chapter 6. And so each church context is unique, no matter where you go, no matter what kind of church you're in. But growth always brings challenge, always, no matter what. Now, here's the thing. That leads most churches not to grow. Now, again, we, we, well, that's not what I heard. I heard so-and-so pastor and so-and-so church say that they're not growing because the world hates the church. Now, are there plenty of people in the world that despise Christians? Absolutely. I would be the first one to admit that, no doubt about it. But I firmly believe that if you don't try to reach lost people, you won't. If you don't care about people who are dying and going to hell then they won't come to faith in Christ because of your efforts. Why? Because if you don't try, then nobody's ever going to come to faith because of your witness. But that doesn't change the fact that Jesus told you, you don't have a choice. You will be his witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. So God has called us to be witnesses. And so the decline in churches in America, by the way, this wouldn't be really popular, any pastor that watches it, probably not gonna necessarily, all of them are not gonna love it. Most of them, I think, will believe this is true. Most of the decline of churches in America is not because God has finished saving people. It's because the church has finished obeying the call. And so at some point, we've gotta get beyond our distractions beyond our personal selfish motivations and care about lost people again. And, and if, if somebody were to say, what's the secret? What's the magic? What's happening at First Simpsonville, Upstate Church? You know what's happening? You're just loving people. You're just telling people that, that God loves them. We're speaking the truth. We're not compromising the gospel, but we're also, we're also trying. We're, we're, we're pursuing um, as a missional effort to obey uh, the Lord. We're trying to fulfill his mission. So the reason most people fail at the mission and begin to decline or die as a church is because they're afraid. You may say, well, what are people afraid of? Well, they're afraid. It's easy to get afraid of losing control, losing power. If, you're, if you've ever been a part of other churches, you know this is pretty common. I, I was born the son of a Baptist preacher. So I've been in church all my life. Um, and and I, I, I'm telling you, people are afraid of losing influence they're afraid of losing the personal benefits they have when they're in a smaller environment because they have more of a, the attention of maybe the pastor or pastors. 
But then also we're afraid because of a lack of clarity. Sometimes we're just confused. We don't understand the word of God. We're afraid because of a lack of confidence. We're, we're afraid because of a lack of comfort. We don't want to lose the comfort that we have. Well, I just, I, I don't, I, I think the church just getting too big for its britches. What's that mean? <laughs> this means that we're uncomfortable. We're uncomfortable. And so here's, here's what happens. When, when it comes to a, a passage like Acts chapter 6, it's really helpful because today I feel like I'm able to kind of, in some ways, preach a pastoral message. If you're, if you're not a member of our church or a regular part of our church, I still think this is super helpful and will be applicable to you, but especially to our body. As we grow, we have to know challenges are going to come. Things aren't going to always be super easy. And we're going to have to give stuff up in order to see God glorified in our lives. And so the apostles had a complaint arise. Imagine that. <laughs> a complaint arise. And uh, what was their solution? Their solution's in verse 3. Look at Acts 6, verse 3. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose the men. So they picked men out from among the, the people. It names them. One of them is named Stephen. We'll hear about him in just a moment. Then in verse 6 it says that they set them before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on those men who were selected out from the body. I'm going to give you three things from the text today. Super simple application points that we can take to the bank. No matter who we are, we can apply them not just corporately in our church, but individually in our own lives. The first one is this. God calls us to his purpose. God calls us to his purpose. God, I had to learn this the hard way over the years, but God does not call me to my purpose. Sometimes we say stuff like, I just don't know what my purpose is. You know, it don't matter what, what I think my purpose is. What matters is what God's purpose is for me. And so God has called me to his purpose. I don't really have a vote in it. Uh, seven and a half years ago, going on eight years, when uh, it was really nine when I initially heard the first time the, the name First Baptist Simpsonville. Do y'all know I didn't know where Simpsonville was? I'd, I'd driven through Greenville County, didn't know I was driving through it on the way to Charlotte before. We actually went uh, to Wilmington, North Carolina one time. That's the only way I had to have come through here. But I didn't know Simpsonville, South Carolina. And, and, and literally in, in a matter of months, God was stirring our heart and it was obvious he was calling um, my family to come and plant our lives here. Let me just tell you, if it had been up to me at that moment, seven and a half, eight years ago, I, I didn't want to leave where I was. I loved my faith family that they're, they're like literally like family to us. I had deep roots. I, I literally served 10 years of my young adult life, raised my kids in that community. My, my oldest son was a senior in high school. There's a million reasons why I didn't want to do it. And so here's what I had to learn. I mean, and, and it's just been true over the years. God didn't call me to my purpose. He didn't call me to what I necessarily even want. Now, looking back, I can't imagine anything different. You guys have become mine and Amy's uh, favorite people on the planet. We would rather be nowhere in the world than here. But I, I didn't feel that way eight years ago. And so what I, 
I had to learn is that God's, God's plan for me and God's plan for you, it is perfect for you, but you're not always gonna feel like it. It's gonna be difficult. And, and look, it's not going to be painless. It's not going to be without challenge because obedience is going to bring obstacles. You remember Peter last week? I mean, Peter was obedient to God. He got thrown in jail. But you know, you may say, well, yeah, but, but the angel came and let him out of jail. But he couldn't have been let out of a jail he'd never been thrown in, right? And so we, we think about, oh, but we want the healing. You know, we want the celebration. But you can't, we have nothing to celebrate if we don't obey God and go through the difficult days. So struggle, opposition, pain, that's what comes from obeying God. Because God calls us to his purpose. Now, that doesn't mean it's always terrible. Obviously, we love serving the Lord. But it just, I don't want to be, you to be naive and think that somehow that when you, when you come to faith in Christ, everything gets perfect. That's not the case. Uh, we must never ignore the reality that when we obey God, oftentimes pain comes, challenge comes, difficulties come. So why, why are you telling us all, all of this? Because I think it's so important to recognize, uh, if we look at the text, if we're just trying to find a big picture of the text, here's what we see. Preaching of the word of God must be central, not secondary. And so when we think about the Christian life, oftentimes we may just think about it in term only. We may say, well, I'm a, I'm a Christian. You know, I go to First Baptist Simpsonville, or, you know, I, I, I'm a member of this church or that church, but... But really, a, a follower of Jesus is just that. We are committed to following Christ, but we are positioning ourselves under his word. And so every now and then, I get emails or messages and all kind of about just, hey, where does your church stand on this issue? And really, the, the, uh, I had one this last week, and a super, super gracious person, not trying to be argumentative, but it's obvious they're, they're really just wanting somebody to say to them, are you okay with this? Are you okay with this? My answer to them was very, very gracious, I, I hope. But it was basically centered around, we just believe the word. And we just we want to position ourselves under the authority of God's word. Because that's what we believe Christians must do. It's not really, I'm not, I'm not given the option to be a follower of Jesus and just believe some of it. I've got to really position myself under the word. And don't miss that in Acts 6 because these disciples actually called deacons to serve so that the preaching of the word could stay preeminent. So that they could devote their time to the word and to the work of the ministry. And so that's such an important thing. But don't miss the miracle in verse 5. This is pretty cool. In verse five, we see a great miracle because the whole congregation was happy. That is a miracle of God, right? The whole congregation was happy. The whole crowd agreed and they were like, this is really a good idea, man. That's fantastic. And they were unified. And so we see just this super principle, simple principle before we go further. Missional advancement is often accomplished by methodological adjustment. Missional advancement is often accomplished by methodological adjustment. We're not going to always reach more people unless we adjust methodologically as we go. But then look at verse 7. Verse 7, and the word of God continued to increase. Why? 
Because they had a solution to the challenge. A challenge arose, people were being neglected. They called out deacons to help serve. They were extensions of the pastoral ministry. And the word of God as a result continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly. And so we see in the midst of this, they didn't ignore the problem, but they also didn't quit the mission. See, the problem is oftentimes when we, when we face challenges, we, we just give all of our attention to the challenge and we forget about the mission of God. Here's how it translates in our individual lives. God, God has called us and we're like, oh, I'm going to commit my life to Jesus. I'm going I'm to live better for him. I'm going to do more. And then something happens in our life. Something challenges us. There's an obstacle in the way. And that obstacle prevents us from our obedience. It holds us back from being obedient to God. And as a result, the mission is thwarted because we don't overcome the obstacle in obedience. This is not rocket science. It's super simple to understand. That's what happens in our lives. Challenges get in the way. Obstacles get in the way. And instead of seeing the obstacle as an opportunity, we allow that obstacle to become a barrier. And, and so that really leads us to the second point, And that is obedience leads to opportunities. Obedience always leads to opportunities. Look at verse eight. Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then in verse nine through 15, the religious elitists argued. They were debating Stephen. And when they realized that they were no match for Stephen, this deacon was, he knew the word of God. He knew the gospel and he was reasoning against them and they were no match. And so they schemed a plan, much like the uh, religious leaders schemed a plan and uh, falsely accused Jesus and eventually hung him on a cross. They schemed a plan and falsely accused Stephen. In many ways, Stephen is like a, a picture of Jesus. We're going to see it in multiple ways. But we can't miss this. It's a pic he's a picture of me and you. This is like who we're supposed to be in this culture. God's not called you to face an obstacle and bail on the mission. God's not called you to be faithful until it gets tough. God's not called you to, uh, to, to, to come to church until the time changes, right? To praise God for you. Man, I, I told the first two crowd, uh, services, we need to hand out buttons on time change day that says, I love Jesus a little more than you. Amen? I really appreciate you guys being so faithful. You're awesome. And everybody watching at home is faithful too. It's the culture. It's got me scared, right? I don't want to offend anybody. So uh, we'll get you a button too. Amen. Participation trophy. Anyway, that was a bad joke. I'm going to get letters about that, no doubt. Emails. Emails are coming. Emails are coming. My car broke down this morning. I know. Praise the Lord for you. All right. Do you know, and I'm going to get people reminding me of this, ADD kicks in like this sometimes, but do you know like 600 people are watching online now? That's crazy. 600 people. So I probably shouldn't have said that. God love you. Amen. We're, we're so grateful that you're checking us out and, um, and worshiping with us. But uh, Stephen, Stephen was facing opposition. And, uh, and instead of bailing because of the pushback, he, he pushed forward. He was faithful to God. Following Jesus in obedience will lead to obstacles and opposition every time. And so some of you are pretty uncomfortable because you're probably not 
followers of Jesus yet, and you're overcoming an obstacle today. I want you to hear this because this is super important. You're overcoming an obstacle to get because you're here. You're hearing the word of God. And here's the thing. Obedience to Christ is never going to come without obstacles. You've got to overcome those obstacles. And you've got to overcome the fear in order to walk in obedience. And so they scheme against uh, Stephen. And we see that, we see that he is obedient anyway. Um, This is a tough statement, but it's totally true in relationship to obedience leading to opportunities. If we lack opportunity, it's because we lack commitment to his calling. If I lack opportunity to serve Jesus, it is because I have lacked a commitment to follow him where he wants me to go. It's kind of like when I was a little kid, I, I was not the greatest baseball player, but I always wanted to be. And I can remember I was really small, and, uh, which is hard to imagine now, but I was not a big dude. And, um, and everybody was bigger than me on the team, and I was terrified of getting in the batter's box because I couldn't throw as hard as the people who pitched. Pitchers, all you had to do to pitch in, in my little league was throw hard. I mean, it didn't, but you had no idea where the ball was going to go, right? So, I mean, it could be like at your head. And so I was terrified. I mean, I'd gotten hit by a baseball, and it didn't feel good, right? So I avoided the batter's box. I was reluctant to get in the batter's box, but I still wanted to hit a home run, right? But you know what? Nobody's ever hit a home run from the on deck circle. Never. If, if they could have, I would have tried. <laughs> because I, I just didn't want to stand in the batter's box. But the batter's box was the position for opportunity. And if you're not willing to stand in the batter's box and subject yourself to the opposition of the baseball... <laughs> then you'll never succeed as a batter. And in in our Christian lives, it's the same way. Man, some of us don't even put on the uniform. Some of us don't show up to the game. Some of us just ride the bench and we're like, no, you go in, I'm good. But we really do still wanna be called faithful. That's not faithful. Success makes a mess. You know what, sometimes you will get hit. Sometimes you will hurt. Sometimes you will lose. Sometimes you will fail. Sometimes you will look foolish when you're obedient to God. So this this, uh, reluctance could be a result of our our lack of being filled with the Holy Spirit. We talked about that with, with Peter last week. In verse 8, look what, what it says about Stephen. Stephen was full of grace and power. So if we want to be a faithful follower of Jesus, we need this. We need to be full of grace and full of power. But we often waste the time that we have waiting on God for new opportunities that would naturally come to us if we did what he's already told us to do. We just need to be obedient. It's kind of like, the, it's kind of like a, if, if a son was supposed to cut the grass and the dad said, hey, the grass is growing. I want you to cut the yard. Come back in two hours and the son is still sitting there. And the dad's like, why haven't you cut the grass? You ain't, you ain't even started yet. And, and the son's like, I, I just, it's just so much grass. I don't know where to start. You know, it's a silly thing, but listen, start anywhere. Start any, just do it. 
Just do something. And Christians are that way, man. And I, listen, I want you to hear that. I'm saying me too. I'm not trying to beat you up. I'm just saying how many times we just go, I don't know what to do. <laughs> the world's gone crazy. There's so many examples of this. I don't even want to get into it. You're talking about offending people, right? The world's gone nuts, and we don't know what's happened. And so how do you respond to that? How do you preach the gospel to people who have lost their minds, right? And so we don't know what to do. And so God's saying, go, cut the grass. And we're like, where do you start? Where do you start? Anywhere. Just do something. Just do something. Because the more we just stand here doing nothing, we're disobedient to the mission of God. God's called us to do something, to try. I can't tell you how frustrating it is, man. So many people I hear, so many pastors even, who are just like the world is so bent against God, nobody's, nobody wants to hear the gospel. I've never heard someone who faithfully witnesses to lost people say nobody wants to hear the gospel. Why? Because people who share the gospel see people saved. Not, maybe not a majority, but if you share the gospel with people, if you just tell people what God has done in your life, they're open-minded enough to embrace the grace of God. They will come and see. They will find out what's happening. How has, how has uh, your life changed? How has God changed your life? What's different about you? And, and so the answer, they want to find out that answer. The fact of the matter is, yes, the world is lost, but they're still hungry for hope, and you have the hope that they need. And so with all of that, let's go to the third point real quickly. We saw, first of all, God calls us to his purpose. Second, obedience leads to opportunities. Third and final, speaking truth always advances the gospel. Speaking truth always advances the gospel. You may not see it advance. You may not see the solution. You may not see your friend come to faith in Christ. But if you speak the truth in love, if you're like Jesus, John 1:14, full of grace and truth, then you're going to see the gospel advance. It's going to advance. God's going to use the seed that you plant. And so we have to continually remember that I'm going to be faithful, not because I'm getting the credit. I'm going to be faithful, not because my cushion is soft enough in church or I'm getting my way or I found a good parking place. I'm going to be faithful because Jesus has changed my life. So that's really got to be our motivation. Why? Because here's the truth. Speaking truth always advances the gospel but it also angers God's enemies. The gospel will anger God's enemies, and that's what we see in this story with Stephen. Because Stephen's obedience led to opposition. These men pushed back. They wanted to debate Stephen. Stephen confronted them with the truth of the gospel, and it made them want to kill him. Stephen's obedience led to opposition, which led to more opportunity. You may say, what do you mean opportunity? It sounds like killing some, you know, them wanting to kill him is not a good thing. But it was opportunity because now they, it gave him a platform to share the gospel again with people who would have never heard in an environment that he would have never been given. And so look at verse 54 of chapter 7. Go and turn the page or scroll down on your device. Acts 7, 54. And here's what happened. Now when they heard the words of Stephen, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. <laughs> That's pretty mad. 
But he, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing, that's important, at the right hand of God. But they cried with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed toward him. <laughs> this is a picture like a, like a four-year-old, right? They stopped their ears. He was telling them, he was preaching so so much stuff they didn't want to hear. These religious elitists were stopping their ears up. They, it's like they were going, blah, 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 blah. Are you kidding me, right? It's, it's, like, it's like some of us sometimes figuratively, but, but these guys didn't want to hear what Stephen was saying. And, uh, and so in verse 58, they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man it's a little foreshadowing here. A young man named Saul. Yep. His name would be eventually the Apostle Paul. Verse 59. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out. Consider this comparison with Jesus on the cross. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Luke chapter 22, verse 69 says that Jesus, speaking to the high priest, said, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of the Father. So Jesus has given this, this, this prophetic word to the high priest in Luke twenty-two sixty-nine, when he is about to be crucified. And he says to the high priest, you're going to see the Son of Man seated, seated at the right hand of the Father. Yet Stephen sees Jesus standing in Acts chapter 7, verse 56. And so it, it made us want to dig and see, well, why would that be the case? And a lot of the commentators say different things about him standing, but it's significant because Jesus said he would be seated. Most people say that Jesus rises from his throne to come to Stephen's defense and to bring judgment on his persecutors. It's almost like he's saying to Stephen as Stephen looks up, I see you. I see what you're doing. I see what you're giving up. I see what you're sacrificing. I see how you're standing. I see how you're obeying my call. And I see how they are treating you. Stephen's name is mentioned only eight times in the Bible. Out of the eight times that he's mentioned in the Bible, five of them are in Acts 6 and 7 that we've just read part of. The other three times are in the book of Acts. But this is super important. All those references outside of Acts 6 and 7 are still references to his death. So the only reference for Stephen outside of his death is when he was called to be a deacon. You may say, what's the big deal about that? I think it's huge. I want you to think about this for a minute. The guy who actually, his death sparked like this massive movement. This massive movement of God. His willingness to give his life and so I think it's important to recognize that 
It's a powerful example of how someone God uses in this significant of a way gets very little fanfare. I mean, he, he's not a celebrity pastor, right? He's not, nobody knows him. No, nobody, nobody remembered his name because he was like the best guy ever. No, why? listen to this. He's not in the spotlight like the apostle Paul. Ironically, the apostle Paul's the guy holding the coats of the men who are throwing rocks at him. Stephen's not the author of any book of the Bible. He didn't plant any churches that we know of. And it seems that he may have been killed in the prime of his life. Yet Stephen was a man, here's what the Bible says about him. Verse five of chapter six, full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Verse eight of chapter six, full of grace and power, doing great wonders. So listen, if if you're obedient to God, you will face opposition from the enemies of God. If you say yes to God today, let's say you're an unbeliever and you're like, I wanna, I wanna believe, I wanna be obedient to God. I, wanna, I want forgiveness, I want the grace of God. Obedience to God will always come with opposition from God's enemies. But this opposition will inevitably produce more kingdom opportunity. So here's the question in closing. Will our loss of control Will our loss of power, will our loss of influence and personal benefit, will our loss of comfort be counted by us too great of a loss for the gain of seeing Christ stand? Let me just ask you today, if it was you, would he be seated or would he be standing? When you face obstacles, are you overcoming them in obedience and finding more opportunities to serve Jesus? Or are you sitting on the bench or maybe at home with no uniform on because you just don't want to get hit? You don't want the pain. You don't want the pressure. Man, let's let's live sent in obedience. Lord, we love you. I thank you for your word. I thank you for every man and woman in this room. And I know, God, there are some who are here that do not know you. They're they're not followers yet, but they're here. They're hopeful. God, I pray you'd speak to them and, and strengthen them to make the decision to follow you. For the rest of us who are believers, God, we're not perfect. We fail you so often. God, would you give us your grace and strength to stand? Last week, we heard about Peter. God, help us stand like Peter. This week, Stephen. God, help us be like Stephen, full of of faith, full of spiritual power because of the one we love. God, strengthen us so we can serve you better. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me?